Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. to Learning Made Easier. This is episode 68, How to Handle Difficult In-Class Conversations. With all that's currently happening in the United States, a poorly managed pandemic combined with racial tension and a struggling economy, teachers and students have to be prepared to have difficult conversations with one another. The question is, how can these conversations be productive in terms of learning and action rather than devolving into shouting matches in class? How can voices who have a stake in these issues get heard in the classroom? Classrooms are safe spaces. This means that our students have to feel safe and comfortable to bring their experiences and ideas into them. It does not mean automatic agreement, but it does mean that the setting has to allow for them to speak. How do we have these conversations without them turning into hostility? In a Facebook post that received about 2,000 shares, link to in our show notes, the author discusses calling out problematic statements in class on the spot, rather than letting them linger and continuing as though nothing was said. So we're going to basically read the post here, and we do have a link to it in the show notes, but we want to make clear this part is not our writing. We are sharing it with you the way that we shared Catlin Tucker's ideas about engagement in a previous episode. So the post reads, calling out problematic behavior has nothing to do with persuading someone to believe what you believe. The objective is not to educate. The point of a call out is to abruptly interrupt violence. And then she says, let me repeat that. The point of a call out is to abruptly interrupt violence. It's to ensure that the offending party understands that their violence will not go unchallenged. It is not to be normalized. It will not be met with civility or tolerance, but with swift condemnation. It's about stopping people in their tracks. People who boldly make oppressive comments continue to do so because the majority of folks simply pass it off as ignorant, satisfied with the fact that at least they know better. This is not good enough. Your call out doesn't have to be eloquent. It doesn't have to be witty. It simply needs to disrupt. Hey, we don't talk like that here. I don't wanna hear that shit. You're ignorant AF. You don't know what you're talking about. What is wrong with you? That is just literally not true. That makes no sense. Are you done? You're done. Whatever comes to mind, use it. Just disrupt. I promise you, these folks will back their damn selves into a corner. They're not used to backlash. They will crumble. Call shit out and reserve your education, aka call-ins, for those folks who show genuine interest in learning, who ask questions, folks who have a rapport with and value your perspective. Now, that's what her post read, and I want to make a couple comments on this before we go into our own experiences with it. First, notice a call-out is for the person who's being actively hostile who is saying, well, I just think black folks aren't as smart, or I just think that gay people need to learn how to stop being so gay, or I just think that whatever it is, I just think that offensive opinion, or the ones that start with the classic, well, I'm not racist, but stop there. 
nothing good comes after that phrase. Or I'm not sexist, but yes, you are. Shut up. Or, well, I'm not, you know, homophobic, but yeah, yeah, you are. Okay. Those are the things where you're going to call out and call out in this context means shut them down. We're not interested in your bigoted opinion. We're not interested in your classist opinion, your sexist opinion, your racist opinion, your anti-Semitic opinion, your Islamophobic opinion. We're just not interested in hearing it, and we're going to shut you down. But notice at the end, she says, reserve your education, your call-ins for people who show genuine interest in learning. So this also needs to be something that we talk about for a minute here. Many of the people in your class, students, have no idea that their views are offensive because they've never been around anybody who didn't think those views were fine. They've never been around a black person or they've never been around a Latinx person or they've never met a disabled person in their life or they think that Jews actually have horns, okay? I have met these students, not often, but at one school that I taught at that was basically lots and lots and lots of white kids and nobody else, there was an enormous amount of anti-Semitism, racism, homophobia, Islamophobia. It's, it was scary. For me. It's why I didn't continue teaching there. Now, at the schools that Denora and I teach at, we have very, very diverse populations, but we will still occasionally get the kid who thinks that it's totally okay to say something racist about black people. And when you dig into their background, you find that they came to the school from a very, very white area of the state or somewhere else in the country that was mostly white. And yes, we are saying these are responses that mostly are coming from white straight, cis, majority people. People who have the confidence and the comfort of knowing that their views, of course, are the right views. They're the obvious views. They're the ones that everybody thinks is the way things are. And when they get confronted with the idea that, no, that's not the way things are, things can go one of two ways. They can go hostile or they can go confused. When it comes to them being hostile, by all means, use the call-out techniques that were listed by the author of the post that we're going to share in the show notes that we just shared now. But if we're talking about ignorance, if we're talking about actually really not being aware that no, the N-word is in fact an offensive term whenever it comes out of a white person's mouth, this is where some education can happen. So teachers and students, we're talking to both of you about this. And I also wanted to add my two cents. When you do the call out, your student who's actively hostile is not trying to interrogate the material. They're not coming at it from a scholarly, let's evaluate a theory and say, here's where it works, here's where it doesn't. They may not realize it, but they're attacking their peers. And if our classes are supposed to be safe spaces, we have to protect them. We are doing the most good for the most amount of people. We're being utilitarian. Now that said, hopefully most of your students aren't hostile. And if they do make a hurtful comment, it's out of ignorance, which can be corrected because ignorance is something that we address as teachers. But hostility is not something that should be expected nor tolerated in the classroom. And I was teaching a sociology of law class a few years ago. We were talking about gangs and policing. There had been a recent nationally covered shootout in Texas among rival motorcycle gangs and the police. And a photo, it's also linked to in the show notes, really stood out to me. This photo shows a white police deputy with his weapon pointed downward and his back toward the bikers, who are also overwhelmingly white, he's detained. The bikers aren't handcuffed, they're not zip-tied. And I had one student who said, well, in small town Texas, 
that's just how policing is done. That seemed really weird to me. So on the spot, I asked her if these men were Bloods or Crips, which are predominantly black gangs, and they were in small town Texas, would the police treat them similarly? She goes, yes, absolutely they would. So I asked my students also on the spot, and most of them were Latino and they were black. Uh, I asked them what they thought and phrased it as, look you all, my gangbanging days are long over. The police treat the Bloods and the Crips with this level of deference and gentleness. And my students overwhelmingly said, no way in those gangs cases. There would be more than one police officer standing guard. There would be suspects on the ground being handcuffed. It would not be the scene that you can see in the picture. In the picture, some of the people detained are even on their cell phones. And that's unheard of for other gang members. Once it was established that the police don't treat all gangs the same way, even if from their same area, we continued into our lesson. I wanted my students to have input but I didn't want them to pile on the student. It's one thing to rebuke sternly a comment in the moment and to have a teachable moment say, the police aren't treating all gangs the same and here are some areas or reasons why. But it's another thing to turn your class into a battleground. Now I wanna to speak to this both as a teacher and as a former student. So as a teacher, I've had students call each other out before I can. And as a white professor with many students of color, sometimes my job is just to moderate, not to call people out. If you're a professor in this situation, ask questions to guide the discussion, but let your students do the calling out. If they call someone out, don't interrupt their process. It might also be a good idea to talk about this process during the first week or two of class, noting that you're going to give students autonomy to call out problematic statements and problematic views, but you will also shut things down if people can't remain reasonably civil during these kinds of discussions. Make it clear that you do not want things to devolve into name calling and you won't put up with it. Get the classes buy-in early and ask the students for their feedback on a class call-out policy that everyone can live with and abide by. Now that's my instructor perspective. As a student, I called out my classmates in an undergrad sociology class once while they were doing a presentation on gay people they had based it almost entirely on anti-gay resources aimed at demonizing gay people. And as a gay man with a gay partner with me in the class at the time, I was not about to put up with it. And I said several times, that's not true, or that's a biased source, or that's bullshit. And I refused to stop calling out the presenters, even when the instructor told me to, because their presentation was straight out of the homophobes are us playbook. After class, I also confronted the teacher, who admitted she'd been taken aback by their presentation, and she didn't know what to do, but she wanted to keep things in the class calm. Teachers, now that you know about things like this from now on, if your students present presentations like this, shut them down. And try to make sure if students have to run their sources by you at least once before they present to avoid these kinds of situations in the classroom. Now the way students can use this, be aware that your own life experiences might not be the same as many of your classmates. This might be less true on Adam and my campuses, as we teach largely at commuter schools that serve similar neighborhoods. But for many schools, you have students from all over the state, the country, and the world, and it is safe to assume that your life experiences up until this point may not be the same as your classmates. You need to listen to your peers in the classroom, and you need to offer them the same respect that you want them to offer you.
Just as you would likely be peeved if someone assumed you were lying about something that happened to you like, oh, that doesn't sound right. Oh, what really happened? Oh, that can't be serious. You can't be telling the truth about that. Don't do that. Assume that your peers are being honest and speaking in good faith about their experiences, especially if they don't come from where you come from. I had a class once where there was a student over from England and they told me that one of the hardest things for them to deal with was the American belief that guns are totally okay. Because in England, you don't get to have a gun unless you have a specific kind of permit and you have to show that you have a need for a gun, which means there's hardly any guns in England. And here she comes into Compton where there's guns everywhere. And she just wanted to yell at all of her American classmates, don't you understand what fools you are? Don't you understand how stupid you are? If you have a gun, it's more likely that you'll get hurt it would not have gone over well in our classes. And so she came to me and vented instead. But she also thought most of her classmates were lying about feeling safe with a gun in the house. And I had to sit her down and say, no, that is the American view about guns in general, is that having a gun makes you safer. No, you won't be able to talk them out of it. All it's going to do is cause a firestorm with no good end. So come and vent to me anytime you want, but don't try to challenge them about those experiences. Understand that your classmates, like you, and like us, are learning, and the comment of disbelief may come more from a place of ignorance than hostility. While that ignorance is to be addressed on the spot, once it is called out and addressed, give the offending party a chance to learn to digest this information and see if they grow from it. Give them a little space, but don't let them repeat it. Heck, Denor and I just went through this a couple of days ago in one of our pandemic pedagogy groups where someone was saying, well, I want them to do all these things and this looks perfectly reasonable. And it was a list of stuff like you must be on time for the in-person live sessions. You must be dressed the way you would be dressed in class. You must do this. You must do that. And it was a bunch of stuff where the assumptions were, you must be sitting up. You must be sitting up. You must be in a place that's quiet. You must have no interruptions. And it was completely unreasonable, completely inequitable and a huge blind spot for the original poster. And Denor and I both were responding to him saying, no, 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 man, this is not cool. No, man, you don't look at this and then put yourself in the in the shoes of your poorest student. Or, And it turned out that he was teaching at a school that had no poor students. And we said, well, that's nice, but this is still not cool. And here's the reasons why. And after about, what, six or eight exchanges with him, I was all ready to go crashing in again and saying, Ed, you're still stupid about, and Denor said, you know what, let's just give him some time to think about it. Let's just give him some time to learn. Let give them some time to digest. And students, you may need to let your classmates digest the pearl of wisdom you just gave them because it may be a very bitter pill for them to swallow to find out that what they were always told about black people isn't true, that what they were always told about gay people is in fact wrong, that what they were told about Jews is complete fantasy. These are gonna be things that are hard for people to swallow when they're coming from a place of ignorance. And for some people, when they feel their ignorance showing they get really hostile to cover it up. So teachers, remember, you get to set the tone in your classes. So ideally, this tone is collegial partnership with your students, your team. You're working together to learn new ideas and learn new skills. So if someone makes an ignorant statement, call it out immediately and let your students have input. And that said, give the student making the remark a chance to show they've learned the lesson, whether that's in future comments in class, in the work they turn in, or even just privately with you and maybe the other students that they offended. Don't antagonize students who have irked you or their peers with statements. Going after a student repeatedly means you're not correcting the mistake, 
you're trying to get a student to look bad in front of you, their boss, and their peers. And that doesn't help foster a sense of community and camaraderie in the classroom. Give students the room to make mistakes, help correct the mistakes, and move forward. And we have to remember as instructors, not all mistakes are mistakes about the material. Sometimes the mistakes are, this is the way I was taught, this is what I was brought up to believe. How dare you tell me that it's wrong? Well, I'm sorry, but the facts show that it's wrong. Let's talk about that. And these are the mistakes that a lot of students may see as part of their identity, part of their family's identity, part of their community's identity. And having to realize their mistakes is painful. Having to realize that their mistakes need to be fixed is difficult. And yes, call them out. Yes, shut them down. Yes, let them know we don't allow people to talk like that in this classroom. But then let them work through it, help them work through it. Don't just shut them down and leave them shut down. So that's what we have for you in episode 68. If you're finding our podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. We're always hoping to get new subscribers so we can help more people. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Android. We're hosted on Blueberry.com, and we'd really appreciate it if you could write us a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to join us next week for episode 69, when Adam and I discuss how to summarize as a necessary critical thinking skill. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learning made easier. And we look forward to seeing you next week.